Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, our party return home to Oak Hollow, victorious and the honored guests of a celebration of the return of the townsfolk from Talagor's clutches. Thanel, Belgin, and Morris enjoyed a much-awaited level-up. Morris met with Silverfingers yet again in order to find more information on the whereabouts of his stolen wares, and after a tense discussion and much bribery, he found that his things may be within a warehouse in the capital city of Thedal. We also rolled up a new quest for the party, cleansing elvish ruins at the request of the ravenous maw, though they were certainly not the intended hires for this job. Thanel sadly departs the party having completed her duty and not wanting to leave Oak Hollow again. Morris, having agreed to travel north to the village of Solon Hill to find these ruins, attempted to share his feelings with Thanel before leaving, though she did not reciprocate and painfully let him go. Lastly, we discover the pathetic fate of the escaped bandit leader Talagor, finding justice at the unlikely hands of a halfling named Thador. Before we dive too deeply into this episode, I think it's only right that we grant our halfling hero a bit of a backstory, and maybe even some stats, considering his deed. First of all, Thador, or more specifically Thador Digborough, is going to be a race as class halfling. While I would normally start him off as a level 1 character, his act of slaying Talagor earns him not only the XP for the kill, but it also grants him the monetary reward of the wanted poster. Enough money it would seem to reach level 2. I will now roll up his 6 ability scores, 3 d6s, straight down the line. For strength, I got 12. No bonuses, no penalties. Constitution, 10. No bonuses again, meaning he will have 6 HP to begin with, and another d6 of HP on top of that. I got a 4 for his HP, so he has a maximum of 10. For dexterity, I got a 16. Impressive. Because of this, he will receive a plus 2 to his missile attacks and his armor class. 
as a halfling, he already gets a plus one to attacks with missile weapons, so this brings him to a very impressive plus three. For intelligence, he got a 12, which is above average, though there are no bonuses or penalties. Wisdom, I got an 11. Similarly, no bonuses. For charisma, I got a 9, which is on the low end of the average, but again, no penalties. That high dexterity is going to be very helpful, and with his newly purchased studded leather armor, his armor class will be a 5, and that plus 3 with his sling is going to be very important, I'm sure. As a halfling, he will enjoy the ability to hide and listen at doors better than the average person. Theodore, being a generally lawful good character, wouldn't feel good having killed anyone, and as such, he and the halflings gathered up his corpse and brought it to the caravan to the crossroads trade post in case anyone knew who he was. When he had discovered the value of his bounty and the extensive list of his crimes, Theodore felt relatively at peace with his actions. As he gathered the money for his good deed from the Lord's coffers, he split the wealth evenly and donated much to his companions before letting them travel onward to the Southlands without him, back to their shires, wealthy and ready for an early retirement. Theodore, however, enjoyed the comforts of human lands, and with his newfound wealth he was bound to take in much of those comforts. In reality, Theodore was not one for loafing around for long, and would certainly be eager to go on his next big quest, hopefully, sometime soon. Chapter 15, Part 1 Day 35 Party Status Morris, 14 out of 14 hit points Tariad, 11 out of 11 hit points Belgen 8 out of 8 hit points. Kellum, 8 out of 8 hit points. Spells prepared. Teriad has prepared light, 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 light. and cure, cure light. light, light, light. light. Belgen has prepared chromatic, chromatic ore, ore, ore and phantasmal, phantasmal force. 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 Rain fell steadily on the west run as the quartet traveled to the crossroads trade post. Though the party were silent for the majority of their first day of their journey, they all had much to consider in their own minds. Both Tariad and Kellum found solace in traveling, though each were without a home for their own various reasons, and thus felt that the road was their one and only true home at this point. Belgen struggled with leaving his home of Okalo, but it would seem that he's become more comfortable traveling with these people he'd only met a few weeks ago. With the knowledge that he may be getting one step closer to this strange group as the Ravenous Maw, he felt both anxious and eager to do good in this world, however it is that he may. Maurus struggled the most with leaving Opalo, as he felt like he was being cast out again, having lost the newest and closest person in his life, Thanel. Though she was safe and sound in Opalo, she may as well have been in an entirely different land after she had rejected him and his love. Although the pain of this rejection was truly crushing, he made a vow to return to Okalo to see her at least one more time. Someday. Unfortunately for him, 
He had no idea how eager Thanel would be to see him return home safely. By the end of the day, the rain had ceased and the men were able to get some rest in a dry crevice beneath some oak trees. As they began to cook some of the provisions they'd received from Oak Hollow, making a pleasantly spiced stew in a small cooking pot. As the aroma filled the air of the camp, drifting off into the copse of trees around them, let's see what happens next. I rolled for a random encounter for this first day of travel, and I got a one, which I suppose means there's something else hanging out among these trees. I'll roll now for the actual encounter in the random tables of the Old School Essentials Plains Table. Interesting. This makes a lot of sense considering the events of the previous weeks. Now let's check to see if either of these groups are surprised. I got a 4 for the party and a 5 for the encounter. So neither are surprised. Let's see how this goes. As the four had finished pouring the stew into their bowls and breaking off chunks of bread, the sound of a snapping twig and the clanking of a sword within its scabbard alerted the party. The party, unarmed and winding down for the evening, leapt up at the ready for what may come their way. From the darkness outside the campsite, the sounds had ceased. Breaking the silence, Kellum steps towards the edge of the camp and says confidently, You there, show yourself. There's no use in hiding now. Come forward, or be cut down like a coward. I'll roll a reaction check now, and I'll add a plus two for a circumstantial bonus. I got a nine, which certainly seems plenty enough. A voice calls out meekly from the darkness. Will you promise not to harm us? We will hand over our weapons if you'll grant us that promise. The companions around the fire exchanged confused and concerned glances, before nodding in a reluctant agreement. Very well then, said Kellum. From the trees, a group of five men walk forward and into the light. The men all look weak and worn out, with hunger in their eyes as they stare at the food over the fire. It was no question that these strangers were likely the same who had been kicked out of Talagor's lair not too long ago. Unsure of the next move, Teriad stepped forward to greet the men. You may eat with us, though we expect you to leave here after you finish your meal, and to not return. We are offering you such kindness here, and expect you'll act as such. Kellum and Morris both looked disapprovingly at Terriad as he said this, but the bandits all nodded appreciatively and sat across from the party at the fire. The tension was palpable, as everyone expected some sort of issue to occur at any moment. Surprisingly, nothing of the sort occurred. Instead, Terriad handed out bowls of soup that they could spare to the men, and they eagerly devoured their meals. Let's take a moment to see if these bandits have much of any information to share with the party. I'll roll now with the oracle for the question. Do these bandits know anything of note? I got a five, which means no. No, they do not know anything of note. 
As the nine men gathered sat eating their food, making glances every once in a while to be sure that no one was doing anything shifty, Morris finally seized the opportunity to ask what was at the forefront of the party's minds. Do you have any idea what happened to Talagor? As the five looked back and forth among themselves, the speaker of the group shook his head seemingly unaware of Talagor's whereabouts or his well-being. Morris nodded along awkwardly, accepting this lack of information. As the strangers finished their meal and finished warming themselves by the fire, they awkwardly got up and gathered their gear. The speaker of these bandits turned his head back to the party and said, Thank you all. You didn't need to help us as you did, but we appreciate it. As they leave and the sound of their footsteps trail off, the party all look at Terriad for a moment, and Terriad responds without looking at them. They won't return. I'm sure of it. Gifts to travelers in need will not be gifts we regret giving. As the morning gently roused the companions, they were all a bit more confident in Terriad's decision when they realized they hadn't been harmed or robbed in the night. The gentle winds and warm sunshine were a pleasant change of pace for the travelers as they got closer to the trade post. In the following morning, the party arrive at the crossroads trade post. While it's been weeks since Morris and Terriad last stopped by this place, the people of this small community are in completely different spirits. As the companions ventured within the walls of the settlement, the people gathered, smiled, and greeted them warmly as the children played and many gathered in trade at the market. Compared to the fear and pain they'd seen here before, it certainly seemed like something had changed for the better. Knowing this busy settlement would likely be hard to find lodging in, the group agreed to stop at the Silver Spoon Inn and Tavern and seek rooms for the night. As they walked up to the entrance of the establishment, they saw that the bulletin board was free of one particular wanted poster. They all looked at one another confused for a moment. It would seem that they were right in their assumption that Talagor may have been turned in. Their suspicions were validated when they entered the tavern and saw a halfling sitting upon a bar stool, surrounded by patrons, seemingly wrapping up a riveting story. And as I drew my sling back for that fated blow, I knew that this was life or death for me and my friends. Unfortunately for Talagor, a halfling like myself doesn't miss. And as I saw him collapse to the ground in a heap, I knew I struck true. As the tavern goers, some, having heard this tale already, listened in intently. The party approached the innkeeper at the bar and requested rooms and meals for the evening. Kellum then inquired further. Is it true that the halfling killed Talagor? The innkeeper chuckled under his breath as he made change for the party. <laughs> it's true. He brought that bastard's body in the other day and already claimed the bounty. He donated much of the money to the people of the trade post, so he's earned as much bragging as he'd like. As the party looked at the halfling, shaking hands with the patrons of the tavern, and walking over to order another flagon of ale, Kellum walked to his side and asked, Is it true? Your tale of killing the Master of Fear. 
I, it's true. I take it you overheard the story. Though I might seem proud of killing the man, I took no pleasure in having done it. You have to understand, I didn't know he was a wanted man. I was simply protecting the people I'd been hired to protect. With a slight smile and a nod, the halfling Thedor climbed down from the stool with his flagon of ale. Elgin then blurted out, Would you consider traveling with us? Protecting us, perhaps? I'll check with my oracle real quick to see if Thedor would be willing to go on this quest. I got a four. Hmm, this'll be interesting. A four means no but. So I'll rule this as such. Is Thedor willing to go on this quest? No, but he may be persuaded. Judging by his lawful good alignment, I'll rule that he may be persuaded if the play on his desire to do good succeeds. Thedor turned around to face Belgen now, surprised to see another particularly small adventurer outside of their home realm, and he said to him reluctantly, I'm very sorry to say that I'm not traveling anywhere at this time. I'm enjoying some very well-needed rest. As he turned to head to a cozy corner by the fireside, Kellum interjected, Our quest is not one that we are being rewarded for. This is one for the people of Delagrat. Thedor stopped and looked at him, a bit puzzled by the offer. I'll roll a reaction now, and we'll see how this goes. I got an 11. Wow. Definitely a great reaction check. Perfect for this situation. Thedor then invited the party to join him at his table by the fireside. As he took a hearty swig of his ale, he looked the men over and said, Against my better judgment, you have my attention. While some may seek monetary rewards, I quest for what is right. As he considered the irony of his current living situation, because of his reward money, he added, Although the payments for these good deeds is certainly very well appreciated. We have reason to believe that a nefarious group are seeking the ruins just north of here to be cleared out, and we suspect there is some sort of greater evil afoot. We may be able to learn more of them by investigating their interests, and by doing so, we may be closer to figuring out their plans for the future, explained Terriad. Morris then added, We understand if this seems like a fool's errand, but we have the letter right here, straight from their own organization. As Theodore read the scroll over, he looked back at the men and said, hmm. I don't like the looks of this. Not one little bit. I'll do it. The gathered party were surprised with how little convincing they had needed to do, but they were certainly eager to have him join them on this quest. For the next few hours, the party ventured to the market of the trade post in hopes of spending some of their hard-earned money. Kellum, Tariad, and Maras all buy suits of chainmail for 300 gold pieces in total, 
bringing their armor class down to a four. Kellum bought a few weapons, including a mace and a silver dagger, for about 50 gold pieces. Belgen buys two sacks of marbles for two gold pieces. The party buy two hooded lanterns, six flasks of oil, and 12 torches for 25 gold pieces. Additionally, they purchase a large tent for 10 gold pieces. They also buy three horses with saddles, as well as a couple of riding dogs, for a total of 500 gold pieces. Lastly, the party, by other odds and ends, including two weeks of rations, chalk, rope, soap, and a crowbar for 40 gold pieces. I recognize that shopping trips in Dungeons & Dragons can be rather boring, but I think that in old school games, and particularly these quality of life upgrades brought on by buying new gear, can be very rewarding and entertaining. Hello, dear listeners. I'm Coop the GM, host of the Echoes of Eshetan podcast. Echoes of Eshetan is a post-apocalyptic solo play audio drama where the dice rolls tell the story. Join me each week for a gripping journey across the deserts of Borka, festering swamps of Franca, and mother spore fields of Poland. These mature tales abandon whimsy and embrace the dark with grit, gore, and a glimmer of hope. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Listener discretion advised. Dramatis Personae, Grimneth. Cold, pale, blue lips curled and revealed a mouthful of sharp and glittering teeth. These teeth were not those of a human, nor of any humanoid. Instead, these glittering teeth were the bejeweled and gold-capped teeth of a monstrosity, a wicked being of magic and mayhem, a being of greed and a lust for power. As this monument of avarice sat smiling in anticipation of his guest, he looked around his faintly lit throne room at his gathered council. Though the members of his council were all skilled blackmailers, extortionists, spies, and treasure hunters, he knew they all lacked one quality he could not buy. Loyalty. As his beady, black eyes peered around the dark and smoke-filled room, they finally ended on the small pedestal beside him, where a seemingly delicate mask sat, propped up as if peering at the council as well. This mask itself appeared rather plain, black as moonless night, shaped like a crescent moon with its parabolic bow across the crown of the forehead and with both sharp ends reading down and ending where a jawline would be. The sharp, angled eye slits seemed in a perpetual glare, seemingly disgusted by whatever it leered at. Grimneth was by no means a coward. Instead, he was a brave and savage warrior and a far more sinister magician. Grimneth instead knew when he was outmatched, and although he loathed such scenarios, he wouldn't die a prideful fool. Grimneth was a collector of wealth that most people only dreamed of, and relics that only existed in the wistful fantasies of mages and thieves. At his side, a sword capable of felling dragons, 
Upon his fingers, rings of power, and sitting over the brow of his horned head was a silver circlet with a single sapphire within the center, shaped like an eye. Suddenly, a knocking at the large door to this chamber silenced all in attendance. Grimneth barked to the guards outside of his door. You may enter. As the door slowly opened, a pair of orcish guards wearing chain armor with black tabards guide a meek man into the chamber. As the man stepped in, the door closed, and again, the room was silent. As Grimneth shifted in his stone throne, he glanced to the mast next to him, and then looked back before him and his council. Haldir, I presume? Haldir cleared his throat before speaking. <clears throat> yes, I am happy to finally meet with you, Master Grimneth. You know why I have asked you to come here and to speak with us. Haldir replied, stammering under Grimneth's stare. Of course, the, the, the wheels are in motion, just as you requested. I have sent a trio of mercenaries to begin the blackmailing in the city. What were their names? Those would-be blackmailers. Salas Baum was the leader of the trio, and with him the warrior Welgar and Felia the half-elven. Grimneth shifted in his seat again, taking a very relaxed position. Very good. I have heard of this mage before. Perhaps we ought to keep an eye on him and his company. Haldir realized this task would fall onto him, and thus he felt confident in his standing with Grimnath and his council. Clearly, this was a sign of their trust in him. Just before his mind was made up that he had done well, his eyes fell upon the strange black mask beside Grimnath. As if he were a fly caught in a spider's web, he found his body paralyzed and his mind flailed about as if attempting to break free. All in attendance knew what was happening, and every member of the council felt relief that they were not the subject of the mask's will. Grimneth realized what was happening, and shut his own eyes, and seemed to be focused on something in a meditative trance. For what seemed like hours, Haldir's mind was separated from his own control and comprehension, as if suspended in time while others drifted about its annals. Suddenly, he felt a release from his captivity, and as he gasped for a moment, he regained his control. Grimneth then boomed at the man. You have your orders. Now go. Leave me and await my summons. Haldir gave a swift nod and left the chamber, the door closing behind him with a locking click. Grimneth was not remorseful over having explored this pathetic man's mind. Instead, he was more dismayed and disappointed that again men were found to be disloyal and with greed in their hearts. Perhaps Haldir would not betray him now, but it was the case that men like him would betray anyone as soon as they saw an opportunity to make a profit. As Grimneth lamented the weakness of these beings, he glanced over to the mask beside him, and he closed his eyes again, focusing and conversing with the only one he could ever trust.
Chapter 15, Part 2, Day 37. The party status has not changed, although Thedor has joined the party with 10 out of 10 hit points. As the group traveled west along the West Run Road, they headed for Castle Gantiel. The castle itself was about two days' ride on horseback from the Crosswinds Trade Post. The road they rode upon was well traveled, and along this route they passed many carriages who asked of the rumors of the fall of Talagor, knowing not that the very champions who uprooted him from his position and slew him were there before them now. The weather for these two days was fair, though the wind carried in steady gusts. I'll roll now for random encounters for these two days of travel. I got a two and a three. So they were able to arrive at Castle Gantiel comfortably. The party members agree that they'd rather keep a low profile in such places, paying the toll without any issues, and staying at the inn of the last winter in cheaper rooms as to not draw any attention. I'll now roll the oracle to see if there are any sorts of quests or quest hooks to be found here within the castle. I got a five, so no, there are none. While this isn't exactly exciting, it'll let us continue to Stormfair and then to Solon Hill. Though the following days were rainy, the party's spirits were not broken. I'll roll a couple more random encounters for the next days of travel on their way to Westrun. I got four, and a six. Again, rather boring, but I'll take safety over danger any day. On the 43rd day, the party arrive in the small settlement of Dragden, a small logging community on the outskirts of the plains of Delagrad and the Beveren Wood. Again, hoping to maintain a low profile, the party plan on slinking into the nearest inn and grabbing some rooms for the night. I'll now roll again on the oracle to see if there's a quest hook around here somewhere. I got a six, which is a no and. So I suppose there's no quests available, and the villagers are not welcoming of outsiders. It would seem that they had done well avoiding the wrath of the bandits by keeping a tight-knit watch and not trusting outsiders, as well as not permitting their entry. Having caught word of the death of Talagor, they are certainly less stringent with this policy, but the party will need to pay nearly double for the food and the lodging. Though the party can afford it, all but Morris and Theodore are comfortable paying the premium to have this night's peace. As the party left the quiet village of Dragden behind them, the guards of the village followed them on their way. With two more days of travel left on their way to Stormfair, the last major settlement before Solon Hill, I'll roll a couple more random encounters. I got a four and a one. I knew our good luck would end soon enough. Though their entry into the Beveren Wood was a serene one. Trotting along the road under oak, pine, and birch, they were able to sleep relatively peacefully the first night. The second day's travel was quite similar as the party enjoyed tales of the halfling lands to the south and of their odd customs and culture, especially Belgen, who hung on Theodore's every word. As the sun set, the shadows of the trees stretched, and all began to fade into darkness. For the random encounter, 
I will use a few options that make sense for the Beveren Wood, and in the next episode, I'll explain more of this mysterious and immense forest on the northern reaches of Delagrad, one that will be riddled with monsters and far worse creatures of the night. Alright, interesting. Here we were without any quest hooks at all, and now we may have one that fell right into our lap. I'll roll now for surprise. The party got a five, and thus they were not surprised. The encountered creatures got a two, and so they are surprised. Excellent. As the party continued their last stretch of marching before they would set up camp, Tariad stopped the party by lifting a hand and calling for silence. Did you hear that? Theodore perked up and looked around, listening to the sounds of the forest. Even though this isn't a perfect fit, I'm going to roll for Theodore's ability to listen at doors. I got a one. Perfect. Theodore took on a cautious expression as he slunk back among the party. In a whisper, he hissed. It's orcs. I recognize the language. And as he sniffed a bit, he continued. I also recognize that foul cooking of theirs. What do you suppose that we do? Thank you for listening to an episode of Legends from the Fireside. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. Some of these reviews may be read at the end of episodes. You can also reach me at Legends from the Fireside on Twitter, or you can email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.